You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? This is Ty Daubert. I'm here as your host of the Phillies Nation podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Johnny Heller, as always. Johnny, how you doing tonight? Not too bad. Uh, it's been a good night of watching some very exciting baseball. Uh, yeah, we're recording on Tuesday night. You're probably listening on Wednesday. But as we record, there's some excellent World Series Game 6 action going on. Uh, Anthony Rendon just gave the Nationals a 5-2 lead with his home run. It's been a pretty good game so far. I'm rooting for a Game 7. So hopefully as you're listening, you're preparing for that Game 7. On on this episode of the Phillies Nation podcast, um, we're going to talk a little bit about off-season rumors and you know maybe some trade rumors, free agent stuff. Um, we're going to talk about the hiring and introduction of Joe Girardi that has happened since our last episode. And finally for you at the end of this episode, um, we have a really, really fun uh, interview for you guys. We already recorded that. But Johnny and I got to talk to Philly's relief pitching prospect, uh, Connor Hinchliffe. Uh, that, was a, that was a really fun conversation for us, and I'm, I'm sure Johnny would agree uh, with, with that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Johnny, why don't, why don't we get into it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, first things first, Joe Girardi hired as, as the Phillies' new manager. I think that he's kind of been um, the overwhelming fan favorite since Kapler was hired, you know, to, to be... Hired and um, out of the three choices, him, Dusty Baker, and Buck Walter, I know he was my favorite, I'm sure. Um, the same for you, Ty. Uh, I think, um, you know, considering they fired Kapler and that, and that they were looking for experience, uh, that Girardi was really the best guy they could have landed with. So it's, it's definitely an exciting hire um, for the Phillies. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think that Joe was my guy all the way, especially after hearing some of the guys that uh, they were interviewing. You know, they only interviewed three managerial candidates, like you said, and Joe was definitely my favorite uh, out of the out of the three. What did you, What did you think of his introductory press conference? You know, that was just uh, yesterday at at well Monday afternoon, one o'clock. We all got to hear from Joe Girardi. Phillies Nation's own Tim Kelly was there to cover it. Uh, Shout out Tim. He he did a good job covering covering the press conference for our site. Um, what 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 were some of your takeaways from that introduction? That introduction. I mean, he's definitely very excited to be here, which is awesome. Um, and I think he's the guy that Clintac wanted. Um, obviously, like I said, he's the guy the fan wanted and fans wanted, and he seems excited about you know, all the all the different players he's going to be working with, um, and all of that. And I think he really, really nailed, nailed the press conference. Um, I think everyone who watched it went away thinking that, that the Phillies made the right choice. And obviously there's only so much you can, uh, take, take away from a press conference, but he really hit it out of the park. Yeah. I think you made a good point there with, he was the guy that Matt Klintak wanted something that really, that really, uh, concerned me before this press conference and hiring and all. It, it seemed like they fired Klintak's guy and Middleton was going to come in and hire his guy, uh, you know, kind of no matter what Matt Klintak said. M- 
Middleton, he came out and said that McClintock was going to lead the the hiring process. And I I honestly feel like this was a true collaborative hiring. This was something I said on Twitter yesterday uh, during the press conference. But it, it really felt like Klintak truly meant it when he said that Girardi was the guy that he wanted. So that was kind of one of my takeaways. Um, and I, I think you'd agree with that as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, another Another takeaway for me from the press conference was uh, everybody, you know, seemed to really like the things that Joe Girardi was saying. And that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me in some <laughs> ways because it sounded exactly <laughs> like things that Gabe Kapler would say. Joe Girardi was saying some of the exact same things that Gabe Kapler said <laughs> in his introductory press conference. And he would say in press conferences, pre- and post-game, you know, all throughout his tenure, that everything he said just reeked of Gabe Kapler from, you know, first (laughs) of all, they made the same joke in both of their introductory press conferences. The same joke. They both put on the jersey, and then they were like, oh, you know, I I feel a whole lot more comfortable in a baseball jersey than I do in a suit. They both made the same exact joke. I went back and watched Mm -hmm. Gabe's presser when he got hired. The same joke. Of course you did. Uh, Yeah, of course I did. What else is there to do? And record a podcast is you know the only two the only two activities there are in life really um yeah, that's, yeah. but a lot of the things that Girardi talked about they it sounded like it, they were ripped right out of Gabe Kapler's book um you know he talked about his intensity and how much he cared you know that that's something he went on he went on about for a while how much he cares he's the manager who cares that seemed like something that people ripped Gabe Kapler for for just talking about how much he cared. And, you know, that it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me that that was something that everybody loved about Girardi. Um, and and it, even though it was something that they didn't like about Kapler, another thing that I saw the similarities in was how Kapler in his introductory press conference, he talked about how he was going to be as prepared as possible and really hunt for value on the margins and talk about you know how they were going to search every number and use the analytics to the best of their abilities and you know Joe Girardi he really he really like pressed that that same that same topic he talked about being binder Joe and how the, he's a numbers guy an engineer and he is always going to want to use the numbers and the data and how there's you know a story in the numbers um i don't know if it's just me being a mostly pro Gabe Kapler guy and seeing a lot of those similarities, but um, it's, it's, I, I don't know if you agree with me or what. I mean, it's mostly, like, I, I agree, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of guys are just going to be overly positive and, and stuff in their introductory press conference. Um, we'll see how Girardi's attitude is later, but, you know, post or a, a presser right after he's hired, of course, he's going to be positive and excited and, and stuff and you know it's it's not obviously he sounded like a lot like Kapler but we still I think you and I both agree that he's definitely someone to get excited about yeah um, yeah definitely somebody that I like and I'm excited about I just thought it was funny that everybody was kind of eating up the words that sounded like they could have came right out of Gabe absolutely. Kapler's mouth as well um, also yeah before we forget 
you mentioned that you saw another picture of Girardi in the car last week, and he was, in fact, not wearing a fedora. Yeah, so, so, so John Clark of NBC Sports posted the video from after his interview, and in that video, it didn't really look like he was wearing a fedora. So, I guess I was wrong. I wish it was a fedora. I probably deep down knew all along that it wasn't actually a fedora, but I, it would have been so much more funny if he was wearing that. Um, so I guess it was more wishful thinking on my part on our last episode. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Yeah, you were. Uh, another thing Gabe Kapler talked about in his press conference, um, he was asked a question about his former pitching coach in New York, Larry Rothschild, who was let go from his position uh, as the Yankees pitching coach. The Phillies, of course, have a pitching coach vacancy as well as a vacancy in their hitting coach position. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see who, who they hire. Rothschild should be a guy uh, who could be a candidate. You know, uh, Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports talked about uh, Brian Price, the former Reds pitching coach and then later manager. Uh, Jim also talked about Matt Stairs as a potential hitting coach <laughs> candidate. I don't know if that was reporting or more so just uh, Jim's take on who he thinks should get a look at the job. But, um, yeah, so who, who, what do you think of the candidates that I kind of mentioned before and who would be your uh, kind of ideal hitting and pitching coaches for the Phillies? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the overwhelming consensus with a lot of people is that Ross, like a lot of people don't really like Rothschild. I concur with that. Um, I think a great case to look at is Sonny Gray. Um, he went to New York, and um, after you know a, a pretty good career in, in Oakland where he kind of fell apart a little bit at the end, hoped to revive in New York, and he still fell apart, and then he went to Cincinnati, and all of a sudden he's you know one of the best pitchers in the National League. Um, and, you know, I just think um, hiring a, a 70-year-old who's... I don't know. I, I'm not excited about a guy like Larry Rothschild. Um, Brian Price, uh, he's he was a pitching coach forever with a lot of teams before he managed the Reds. Um, and he definitely produced some results. He had some pretty solid rotations under him. Um, but beyond those guys, the only other two that the Phillies have been reported to have even been interviewing have only been in-house options and I think it's pretty clear that the Phillies should not be hiring an in-house option for uh, that position so I think if I had to choose any of those guys it would be Price um, but one guy who I've mentioned a few times on Twitter um, and this is you know it doesn't have to be the, this guy it's just the idea that I want the Phillies I think it'd be better for them to be thinking outside of the box so uh, the guy I have in mind is the uh, Cleveland Indians minor league pitching coordinator, Ruben Niebla. Um, he's been with the team. He's been with that organization for 18 years. Uh, he's been the, the minor league pitching coordinator since 2013. Before that, uh, he was both a minor league pitching coach and even the major league pitching coach for half a season. Um, and the thing about Niebla is it's just been sustained success um, and really helping young pitchers thrive. Uh, one of the earlier stories, Corey Kluber, he taught, told him that he should use the two-seam fastball more. Obviously, that's turned into Kluber's money pitching. He also reworked his mechanics a little bit. Uh, Mike Clevenger, after a, a pretty devastating injury where he lost some velocity, um, Niebla helped him to kind of to re, rework his stuff um, to still be a, a good pitcher. And even this past season, helping the Indians have 
uh, Zach Plesac and Aaron Zavali ready to go at the major league level, maybe before they had hoped they would need those guys. Uh, Niebel actually got a lot of the credit uh, in, in um, an interview after the season. Terry Francona said that that he thought Niebel deserved a lot of the credit. And um, Niebel, the only time I've actually seen that he's been interviewed was last year with the Texas Rangers. But he's just one guy who you, you see his continued success with different young pitchers. And, and I mean, someone like that to, to help guys like Zach Eflin tap into his stuff. stuff you know, even Vince Velasquez and Nick Vetto still will probably be with the team next year. Um, and then, you know, continuing with guys who are still in the minors. So, I mean, I don't know, Ty, what, what do you think about um, those guys? Yeah, um, I think the Phillies should just hire Niebla so that Johnny will stop texting me about him. <laughs> uh, I think I've gotten a text about Ruben Niebla every day for the last week and a half, and I'm really getting sick of it. So... I think that is probably the only reason the Phillies should really need to just go ahead and, and hire the guy. Um, you know, if I was Matt Clentak listening to this, I would hire him on site. But but no, for real. Um, if, it, if it isn't that guy, specifically Ruben Niebla, I think someone with um, kind of, you know, not the necessarily obvious choice. That seems like what they went with with the manager. And sometimes that is the right thing to do. But right now, the obvious choice is Larry Rothschild, and that that just doesn't seem like the right move. It doesn't seem like he really fits this team's timeline. You know, they're kind of an unproven pitching staff who needs someone who's going to help them develop. And I think someone with a track record like Niebla or maybe um, maybe somebody else in a different organization who has the ability to kind of get the most out of their young pitchers and really unlock their potential, that's the type of guy they need to go with in the pitching coach. Yeah. And really, really the same thing can be said about uh, the hitting coach position. You know, they're a little more proven on the hitting side. They have some legit stars um, with Harper, Rio Muto. Um, I guess you could say McCutcheon as well. Uh, but then there's some question marks, you know. Reese Hoskins has been inconsistent at times, especially in the second half of this year. Uh, there's a there's a ton of question marks in the lineup, and they're going to need someone to help them figure it out on the hitting side. So uh, do you have anybody in mind for the hitting coach position? I don't. Um, obviously, Salisbury mentioned stairs, which is uninspiring. Like I think he did a, a fine job when he was here. Um, that was the Altair season, which was awesome. Uh, but I don't know. It just, I mean, he, the, the Padres stunk last year when he was there. Um, he only lasted a season there too, so I, I don't know. Um, and just back to you know the whole their search in general. I think it's I talked about this last week with their managerial search, and I feel the same way about this. The fact that they're only interviewing guys, or, or at least we know they're only interviewing guys who you know have a lot of experience and are more established names. I, I don't really like that. I think it it. Um, is kind of a narrow way to look at it. Maybe just because you know Chris Young didn't work out, just because Gabe Kapler didn't work out, um, doesn't mean that you need to have a um, you know a, a guy who has a ton of experience. You know, people or teams find these guys who have haven't done this specific job but have still produced results elsewhere, and and a lot of times those are the best choices to hire. So the fact that they're not even looking that way, I don't know. Yeah, um, some something you said there 
um, that just kind of bothered me a little bit. The more I've been thinking, you said that Chris Young didn't work out, Gabe Kapler <laughs> didn't work out. And I guess you could say since they were, you know, ultimately let go, then their tenures did not work out to the best that it could have. But I think Gabe, Man- Gabe Kapler is a good manager, and uh, I think he's going to be a, a good manager somewhere else. And, you know, a lot of people like to say that Chris Young was really bad and that he ruined guys like Zach Eflin and Nick Pavetta or whatever. But I'd really like to say that that's completely false. He really didn't have a lot to work with, with the injuries in the bullpen and just a lack of good pitchers in the starting rotation. I think Chris Young, you know, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't great at connecting with the guys, of course. But I think I think he was right about a lot of things. He was certainly right about Zach Eflin, yeah. which we talked about last episode, I believe. But, yeah, that's just kind of my little tangent. I think Chris Young's smart, and I'm glad that they retained him in the organization in some capacity because I think for the I think he, you know, at least relatively knows what he's doing and is, a, you know, a smart guy. And I, mean, can, I, I think I he can kind of acknowledge, acknowledge uh, certain trends and can help the organization uh, in that capacity in a front office role. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest problem you already said is, is his inability to connect with guys, um, which is really important when, you know, you're, you're asking these guys to trust what you're telling them. Um, you know, if they've pitched a certain way their whole career and now you're telling them to do something different, um, you know, it might not sit well with them if you're not going about it the right way. So, yeah, I think he was really, really, really well fit for the assistant pitching coach's role. And it kind of, it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, they promoted him from that and they couldn't really just put him back in that role after it didn't work out. Moving on, um, just some, you know, MLB rumors and stuff that's been going around. Uh, the other day, I think it was Sunday, it might have been Monday actually, um, John Morosi, MLB.com, uh, reported that the Dodgers would be interested in trading for Francisco Lindor of the Indi- uh, the Cleveland Indians this offseason. Um, and as a byproduct of that, would be looking to trade Corey Seager. Um, and I, th- I thought that could be something of interest to the Phillies. Um, obviously, a lot of things would have to happen there. Who knows if the Indians are even going to trade Lindor. Um, and Muros even mentioned that even if they did acquire Lindor, um, the Dodgers could still have interest in keeping Seager, moving him to third, and moving Justin Turner to first. Um, so, Ty, I mean, how do you, how would you feel about you know a potential package for Seager, um, and you know would you be interested in in the Phillies trying to go after him? Yeah, I, I'd certainly be interested in Corey Seager uh, as a Philly. My only question is in that report, um, did they say would do you think the Indians would want Seager in that deal? So. Morosi said that um, it could go either way, I think. But if you think about it logically, the Indians are tra- are going to be trading Lindor because they can't sign him to that massive extension or, or free agent contract, or whether it's now or in two years. Seager, he's a um, he's a Boris guy, so he's still going to be looking for um, a pretty big contract. So. Logically, I don't know if it would make sense for the Indians to bring Seager in when, you know, he's going to be a free agent at the same time as Lindor. Um, and I don't know if they'd really have the financial ability to even lock him up further than that. So 
I definitely think that the Phillies could be a team. I mean, I, I think a third team could definitely get uh, Seager um, to answer your question. Yeah, Seager is somebody, like I said, I would certainly be intrigued uh, in for the Phillies. I'm not sold on on Gene Segura long-term as a shortstop, and I think Seager could be a good fill-in there. And he would make this offense and, frankly, their defense better. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the package would look like. You know, the team gave up uh, their top prospect, top pitching prospect at the time, uh, Sixto Sanchez. They gave up Jorge Alfaro and a third uh, lower-tier pitching prospect for JT Real Muto. Um, Same thing, two years of control. I mean... Exactly. I think it would probably be a similar package, maybe. So, like, a higher-tier prospect a major league ready player and maybe another throw in, you know, I'm not, I know it's not exactly equal like that all the time, but I think a similar package could get that trade done, especially because Seager while still very good is not what he once was and is clearly not as valuable as JT real Muto. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I would not trade, you know, Bohm plus Hoskins or, or something like that for Seager. I just, like you said, he, he, I think his second year, maybe his rookie year, he finished third in MVP voting, and it's kind of been downhill. Um, obviously, injuries have kind of derailed derailed everything a little bit. But there's still, I mean, he's still a really good player, um, great player to have. And like you said, you don't believe in Segura as a shortstop. I don't believe in Segura as a shortstop, and I don't think the Phillies believe in Segura as a shortstop. Um, so they will have to find a long-term answer there. You know, Bryson Stott isn't going to be ready for another few years. So, And then, you know, what do you think if they were to somehow trade for Corey Seager and then do you think he'd be a – they would need to extend him? Or maybe do you think they would, uh, you know, let him go and then bank on, on Stott being good? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think you trade for. I think it's similar to Real Muto. I think you trade for him, um, assuming that you are going to extend him, because um, you know a player like Seager, there are going to be other teams also trying to trade for him. So you're going to have to pay a, a somewhat premium price. Uh, so I don't think you trade for a guy like that um, just as a, a, a two-year a guy for, to have for two years. What do you um, What do you think an extension for him might look like? Whew. Boy, just I, guessing. This is clearly not, you know, scientific or anything. Yeah, just, I mean, he's a Boris guess. guy, so Boris is going to push for as much as he can get. But I don't know, five or six years for a hundred million. Does that sound right at all? Uh, I honestly do not know. Yeah, I. It sounds a little low to me, to be honest. I feel so. like, yeah, I feel like he might get a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's not only been... he's only twenty five right now, so he'll be twenty yeah. what seven getting after. The two yeah. years of control, entering his prime. Yeah, you're right. It'll definitely be more than that. Maybe the mid, maybe like 140, 150 million. Yeah, and plus, you know, the contracts will slowly start to go up as yeah. time progresses. Progresses, and the teams, you know, they bring in more money, and the luxury tax will probably increase as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that that uh, Seager is someone who could really help the team, because like I said, I. I'm not sold on Segura. I don't think they're sold on Segura, uh, the team that is. And yeah. I think the Segura would be a good uh, upgrade. And then, that would, you know, if they were to do something like that, where do you think Scott Kingery would, uh, you know, play after that? Um, well, 
it depends if Segura stays because I don't think, you know, it was mentioned that Segura might end up at third, but I don't think you want a guy with his offensive profile playing third base. So um, the assumption is that Segura is going to be playing second. Um, so then Kingery will either end up at third or in center field. I would prefer him to be in center field. I think of all the positions he's played, third base has been by far the worst he's looked. And he really settled in in center. Um, so I think that's where I would uh, expect him to be. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I agree with you there. Uh, moving on, you wanted to talk about Jake Arrieta a little bit. Jake Arrieta is entering his last year in his contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's been very disappointing, um, uh, you know, up to this point, $20 million remaining for this last year. What, what do you have to say about Jake? Yeah, I mean, it was just the news came out earlier this week that um, he had, he's going to opt in to the, the last year, um, which obviously we all knew it was coming, but it's official now. So another year of Jake Arrieta. Um, I just... You know, I'm not going to be hopeful for anything from Jake Arrieta, but he's shown some stretches here of being a guy who can pitch deep into games um, and get guys out even when he's not striking them out. So I'm intrigued to see what postponed spur Arrieta looks like. I'm Like I said, I'm not expecting anything. Um, now here's, here's a question. Do you think there is any way the Phillies can, can offload that contract this winter? I think, you know, there's a universe in which it happens, but I don't think it's likely. I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but I think, you know, maybe some team uh, with a low payroll and maybe is not expecting to compete for a World Series, maybe just trying to make a wild card spot or something like that. I think there's I think there's a way that they can offload that one year. If the if the Padres don't do well in free agency team like that, I I agree. I mean, you, you still pay. Some of the contract, but you know, a team like the Padres, um, maybe even the Reds. I agree. You know, that kind of team um, might have interest there for sure. Yeah. Um, also, another thing, you completely hedged on Jake Arrieta right there. <laughs> you you've told me both in messages and in person uh, your real stance about Jake Arrieta, and I want to know why you're keeping it back from our listeners uh, that you think he's back. I don't think he's back. I think there's a universe in which he will be back in, in 2020. Not like 2015 back, but we could definitely... I think there is definitely a good chance that we see um, uh, April 2019 or even first half 2018 Arietta where he's you know, he's still not striking a ton of guys out, but he's getting weak contact, he's getting a lot of ground balls, and he's getting a lot of guys out. Um, I think the Bone Spurs had a huge impact on him this season. Um, and I'm very intrigued to see what he looks like after afterwards if that's you know fully dealt with. Yeah, well, Jake Arrieta, he obviously doesn't need to strike eyes out. He'll tell you himself <laughs> he's fine without striking them out. But yeah, um, we're we're gonna move on yeah. to um, you know cha- we're changing our segment up a little bit. We've talked in every episode about um, a target that we would want the Phillies to go after, but I think today we're going to talk about someone we think the Phillies should not go after. Johnny, why don't you go first? All right. So I'm going to preface this with the fact that I think that the Phillies aren't going to get Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. 
and you know that's going to end up with them overpaying for someone else. Uh, the person I do not want them overpaying for is Jake Odorizzi. Um, you know, my biggest problem with Odorizzi, he had a he had a pretty good, he probably had a career year this year. Um, he does not pitch deep into games ever. He averaged just over five innings per start this year. That's pretty similar to how it's been his career. And I don't think the Phillies are going to have a great bullpen in 2020. They'd have to get a lot done, and there's not a lot out there for them to add um, in the pen. So I think they need need guys who have shown the ability to pitch deep into games. Um, and just having Odorizzi, who's, you know, basically Vince Velasquez. Wow. Not really, not really. Uh, but just... <laughs> <laughs> just having that guy that can you can't trust to go past the fifth inning i think he's one of those guys that people well i think he's gonna be overpaid like i said i think he's one of the, those guys that people would be very excited once he if he was signed by the phillies just because like i said he's coming off a really good year in minnesota but um once you know started to see him pitch and and notice that he doesn't make it past five innings most of his starts I think everyone would get really frustrated by him, and I just don't want that to be the guy. That's be like the 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 prized um, pitcher that the Phillies come away with this offseason. I mean, what what do you think about Odorizzi? Yeah, I don't I don't see you know if I am correct about kind of my views on what the Phillies are going to do this offseason. I don't I don't really see a world where Odorizzi is their top guy that they get. I wouldn't hate him as maybe you know, they, they sign an, an upper-tier guy or even not a complete upper-tier guy. Maybe they they add Zach Wheeler and Jake Odorizzi. You know, I wouldn't hate that. But I, I don't think that Odorizzi is, you know, your top free agent signing. Yeah. I, I don't – I think that the fans would be upset with that for sure. Yeah. And I don't think he would help the rotation enough to make them competitive in t- 2020. Agreed. And, you know, moving on to my uh, target that I do not want whatsoever, a guy that I've been hearing may be connected to the Phillies now that Joe Girardi is their manager, you know, left fielder for the New York Yankees, Brett Gardner. (laughs) I want no part of Brett Gardner. He's going to be watched up. He had a decent year this year. Like, I can't can't deny that. But I guarantee he will not be good next year. He is so annoying. He, he's just so annoying. I don't. I don't want to watch him on the Phillies. Like, do you? Because I don't. I I don't really. I mean, how old is he? He's thirty six years old. Yeah. No thanks. What are we gonna pay? I mean, I don't assume it'd be expensive. Wasn't he also like not good for a while and he just came out of nowhere this year? Yeah, I think so. He had a three Listen, point. He had a three point six WAR this year. The the balls are gonna be unjuiced again next year, and and everyone's gonna fall back to also. Why, if you're going to sign another corner outfielder, why would it not be Corey Dickerson? Like, why? Well, why, why would it also be the oldest guy out there when you've already had sick problems these... with listen, injuries? Listen, with... listen, I am sick of these people just because Joe Girardi managed Brett Gardner. does not mean he's coming to the Phillies, and it does not mean he should be on the Phillies. I don't care if you think he's a good leader. I, who, who even thinks he's a good leader? What, what has he done other than... Other than just like slam a bat off the top of a dugout, and everyone's like, "Wow, this is the most leadership I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> he he's so overrated. Like he has historically been overrated. He had a good year last year, but he is extremely overrated because of the team he has been on. Like, am I wrong? Am I wrong saying that? 
I don't think you're wrong. He did have a good year this year, but I still don't want him. Exactly. Exactly. I want no part of him. He's incredibly annoying as a baseball player, in my opinion. He might have had a seven-war season in 2010, which I just looked up, and that's kind of crazy. Quite recently, actually. What? So that's quite recently, actually. 2010? Yeah. Listen, you know, he had a four-win season this year, but he's... Old, he's very old. I want no part of him. Kutch yeah. is better. And if you're going to sign somebody to platoon, a lefty, let it be Corey Dickerson because he's I probably going to cost you less too. It's going to cost way less. I don't think. I think you're paying Corey for Dickerson. Brett Card. You're you're paying for Brett Gardner's name, yeah. and because he's friends with Joe Girardi, which is dumb. Stop doing yeah. that. Don't hire Rothschild just because he's friends with Girardi and has worked with him or whatever. Stop just hiring people that you know. The yeah. Phillies have done so much of that. With guys from the Orioles and the Angels, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense, and I want no part of Brett Garner. Thank you. And get Ruben Yebla. There we go. Get Ruben Yebla. Mm. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our stat of the day. Johnny, why don't you go first? All right. Uh, I don't know if I've done a Hoskins stat on here. So, um, as Ty mentioned earlier, Reese Hoskins didn't have a great second half. So. Um, Similar to my stat last week where I split up Eflin season into four court parts, I wanted to split up Hoskins season into four court parts. This time showing just regression in each um, quarter of the year. So he played 160 games this year, the first 40 games, slash 279, 408, 578, hit 11 home runs, 1.5 F4. That projects for like a really good season. Um, I think at that point, everyone was really excited about how Hoskins looked. Next 40 games, uh, he slashed 248, 386 with 467 slugging percentage, seven home runs, a .7 F4. So, you know, he's he wasn't great, but he was still producing. Now, the next 40 games, slash 196, 350 with a 406 slugging percentage, six home runs, and a .2 F4. So he was barely a replacement-level player. Um, and I think that was kind of at the point where people were saying, oh, Hoskins has been... You know, pretty bad lately. And then the last 40 games of the season, he slashed 182, 312 with a 364 uh, slugging percentage, hit only five home runs, and had a negative 0.2 FR. So he was just worse than Andrew bad. Knapp. Worse than Andrew Knapp. He was worse than Andrew Knapp the second half of the season. That's a fact. Yeah, Hoskins, very bad in the second half, and I think that kind of just shows you, you know, how good he was in the beginning to how bad he got, which was, you know, it's very concerning, and hopefully he can figure that out next season um, yeah. because the Phillies, they're really going to need him. If he's around, which I think he probably will be, they need him to be very good if they want to be very yeah. good. I mean, what do you think, back to our earlier discussion, what do you think, you know, Salisbury has talked about stairs a lot. Do you think that has anything to do with Hoskins being unreal? I mean, Hoskins would have only worked with him for a couple months, but... Stairs was here in, in 17 when Hoskins went on that tear. And I wonder if that has anything to do with um, their potential interest in bringing him back. You know, I don't I don't think so. Maybe. But I also don't think that Stairs would have had really anything to do with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you bring Stairs back, you have to bring back Altair. That's my take. And Pete McCannon. All right. Stairs, wait, yeah, no. What, was Stairs even there? Was he yeah, there in 17? Yeah, 2017 is Stairs and McCannon. 
Are you? Yeah, yeah, because that was the Altair year, right? That was the Altair year. Arguably the greatest single season for a Philly during the entire rebuild until this year. Aaron Altair, 2017. That's completely fair. I mean, Hoskins' stretch in 17 would be the best. But Altair was also yeah. very good. Altair um, slugged like five, what, 515 or something that yeah, year. Yeah, he, he, was, was, he was insane. Yeah. But, um, yeah, my stat of this week for this episode, it's one that I think many people will enjoy. Anthony Rendon, you know, in game six tonight, he's had a home run and a two-run double. He's And also an RBI single in the first inning. So Anthony Rendon has been going off. He's going to make a lot of money this offseason in free agency. But unfortunately, Anthony Rendon has less walk-off home runs in his career than Andrew Knapp. <laughs> so, you know, you know, he's just... I think that proves that he's not clutch and that Andrew Knapp is potentially a better clutch player than Anthony. Oh. I know oh, he's, he's I know not he is clutch. He only just had five RBIs in a must win game in the World Series, yes. In the World Series, but, yeah. But zero walk-off home runs. Andrew Knapp has one. Thank you. Wow. It's a really great stat. Yeah, yeah, no it took me a lot of digging to find. But yeah, that'll that'll pretty much do it. That'll pretty much do it for this episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. Uh, like I said, stick around because Johnny and I had a very fun interview with Phillies farmhand uh, Connor Hinchliffe. Yeah. He was signed as an undrafted free agent uh, this past summer and pitched for the Phillies Gulf Coast League West team uh, down in rookie ball. And it was a really fun interview for us, and uh, we'd like to thank Connor for hopping on the podcast. Go give it a listen. It was really, it was really it fun was, for us. It was awesome. He was, he was really good. Yeah, shout out Connor. What's going on, everybody? This is the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm here. I'm Ty Jobbert. I'm with Johnny Heller, as always. Uh, today we have something a little bit different. We have a special guest on. We're going to interview him. Uh, Johnny, you excited for this? Yeah, of course. Looking forward to it. All right, we're going to introduce to you our special guest, Phillies uh, relief pitching prospect, Connor Hinchliffe. Connor, how are you doing today? What's going on, man? I'm doing great. How's it going? Uh, it's it's going good. I'm, we're really glad to have you on. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit. Um, you know, something that the people listening might not know is that we are actually both from the same town, uh, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. I went to Nativity High School. You went to Pottsville, but I believe we both played. We both played at Railway Park Little League. You know, World Little League World Series, nineteen ninety seven. So we have that in common, at least. Yeah, gotta throw that in there. A couple local boys from Pottsville, gotta love it. Um, can you kind of talk about um, what it was like for you playing ball growing up in Pottsville? Um, not exactly too local to Philly, but um, it's in the area. And uh, can you just talk about your experiences playing? Yeah, man. I mean, so Pottsville, you know, kind of small town in Pennsylvania, close to Philly, but but uh, not too close. But a lot of guys, a lot of people there are Phillies fans. Um, Pottsville is, you know, if you're not from there, you kind of say, you know, <laughs> what do you even do there? But, you know, when you grow up there, you understand that um, it's such a close knit community. Sports are sports are, are a lot there, you know, very important, very close knit with, you know, not even just Little League, but high school. 
and um, the support from you know family, friends, and even people I don't even know from Pottsville is is awesome. So it's it's awesome to say I'm proud to say I'm from Pottsville, and I'm sure you are too. And you understand that uh, you know Pottsville is a little town, but you know it's such a close knit community, and and almost everyone there you know knows each other, and it's kind of like a, a little family. Yeah, and you talked a little bit about high school baseball. Um, you know, you had a pretty good team in high school. You had quite a few <laughs> guys. You had a, quite a few guys end up going to play in college or even a few. Uh, yourself, Travis Blankenhorn, Eli Napoltz getting pro looks as well. So can you talk about what it was like uh, kind of with that, with that group of guys and what it was like playing in high school with uh, guys getting recruited both college and pro? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, looking back uh, – you know, it's kind of crazy to think that three guys all from one class in, in Pottsville uh, all made their way into the into the pro scene. But, you know, back then, just starting high school, you know, it was it was all about just, you know, playing with your boys and, and going out there and trying to beat, you know, <laughs> trying to beat Blue Mountain or something like, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, it's crazy. I mean, growing up with those guys and, and playing with them and, you know, there's, you know, you hear guys say, you know, there's nothing like with your hometown friends and stuff like that, you know, I, I still believe that's true. You know, I have a lot of great teammates in college and, and now on pro, but, you know, there's nothing like suiting up for your, your hometown and uh, and going out there with your best friends. But uh, it was, it's a lot of fun to see. You know, I still talk to them every day. You know, they're some of my closest friends and, you know, keeping in touch with them and seeing, you know, where their careers are going and hopefully some some way around the road, you know, we can hopefully team up or play against them or something would be would be really special, especially coming from somewhere, you know, as, as small as Pottsville. Going going back to high school, you weren't always a pitcher. Growing up, you were a catcher, if yeah. I understand right. And even in the college, that was something uh, that that wasn't exactly your thing, pitching. Can you talk about what it was like to get into that and how that really occurred? Yeah, so I kind of had a had a pretty unique uh, road to becoming a pitcher. But uh, so my whole life, I pretty much played all over the place. You know, when you're young, you can play, you know, all the different positions and stuff like that. But once you get a little bit older, you start to kind of specialize in a, in a position. And, and uh, I ended up being a catcher. Um, I got recruited to play uh, here in Philly at LaSalle, you know, small mid-major school. Um, I showed up as a catcher, caught my freshman year. Um and then moved to the outfield sophomore year, junior year, started um, in the outfield. And at that point, we got a new set of coaches in. And that now that I wasn't catching anymore, I thought, you know, why not Why not give pitching a shot? Because, you know, catching and pitching doesn't really go, doesn't go hand in hand. But uh, so now that I was in the outfield, I, I you know, walked into them. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to get back into pitching, um, you know, give it a shot. And luckily... Um, my coach, uh, David Miller, my pitching coach, Jim Golden, they, they, uh, they embraced it and let me, let me do that. So right. I mostly still played outfield and then um, through some innings the end of the year. And then the end of that season, uh, at our end of season meeting, my coach was like, you know what, I think, I think you got a lot of potential on the mound. We're going to bring you back as just a pitcher. And it's funny looking back at it because at the time I, I was I was really not happy about it and I wasn't happy with them because you know you hit your you know I hit since since I was in t-ball and now you know I'm getting told you know what you're not going to hit anymore so you know at the time I was like oh man it was a tough pill to swallow but um, you know if that's what he thought that's what he saw in me and that's what my team needed so you know I, I bust my butt to to do whatever I could for the team and um, senior year was a pitcher only. 
um, lucky enough, had a, had a really, had a really great year. And, um, you know, the stars kind of aligned for me a little bit, got, got invited to a pre-draft workout, um, at FDR park, right outside of citizens bank, um, threw really well there. And then, um, lucky enough, got signed after the draft. So, you know, it was, it's, it's crazy, man. I mean, you know, after junior year, I was a hitter and, you know, wasn't having a great career. And I was going into senior year thinking, you know, this is this is it. Uh, you know, just do whatever I can on the mound and see what happens. And, you know, I, at no point was was I ever thinking about playing pro. Like that was that was never, never, you know, a question. You know, I was more worried about taking the MCAT and trying to get into med school than I, than I was worried about playing professional. But um, man, it was, it's just a, it's a, it's a dream come true. And I'm, I'm grateful that it, that it happened. So Connor, you know, you obviously you grew up, uh, somewhat close to Philly. I don't know what team you rooted for growing up, but, um, what was it like, you know, getting drafted and being the organization of, you know, the team in the area that you kind of grew up around? Um, yeah, I, I don't tell many people this, but actually <laughs> growing up, I was a Yankees fan. So I hope, I hope all the Phillies fans don't don't tear me down, but when I grew up, I was a huge fan uh, of the Yankees and Derek Jeter, Pettit, A-Rod, all those guys. I, I met them all actually at a game. So, but once I got older and, and ended up going to school in Philadelphia, um, became a Phillies fan. And, you know, one thing that, that I kind of keep in my head is, you know, the majority of guys that are, are playing pro are playing for, playing for teams that they're not really, they're not familiar with, you know, what, you know, a lot of guys are, you know, growing up in Florida and playing for a team in San Diego or something, you know, all over the place. So I think to play for a team that, you know, is is home for me and is a part of my life is is, is so awesome because, you know, I, I know the fan base. I know how passionate they are. They're my friends. They're my family. They're my cousins. You know, they're they're everyone. So, you know, I know the Philly fans are you know, they can love you and hate you They're, They put up, you know, they expect to win, but that's what, that's what you would expect out of a, you know, out of a fan base that, that is so passionate. But I think, um, you know, it's just so awesome to be able to play for a place that, that I call home and that has such a special part in my life. Can you talk about what the, what the exact process was of you signing with the Phillies, uh, this past summer and how really that went? Yeah. So um, going into the season, like I had no, no interest going into the season at all in terms of getting scouted and, and stuff like that. Um, the beginning of the year, uh, what helped a lot was, was our team actually won a good amount of games and being the closer I got, we won a lot of close games. So I got a lot of saves in a row pretty much. Um, so I was like leading the nation in saves the first month, month and a half of the season, um, got on the midseason golden spikes award list which is like an award given to the best college player which that was that was kind of crazy <laughs> but um so at that point um you know I kind of had had a little bit of stuff for my coach to go out and and talk to the scouts and get them to start coming to some, some games and stuff and um then you know scouts are coming um the weird thing about you know getting scouted is that you know a lot of times you don't really know where you stand so you know they they see you they submit you but in a lot of cases, there's really not that much, you know, communication going on. Uh, I mean, unless you're, you know, a top, a top five round talent where, you know, you got to discuss numbers and stuff like that. But for me as a senior, you know, you don't have any leverage of going back to school and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what was going on. So there were a couple teams that were interested. Um, I got invited to a pre-draft workout, um, at FDR park, which was basically, I went and, uh, 
threw like 15 pitches and uh, that, that was it. I went through 15 pitches and then didn't really hear anything after. I talked to the scouts after, you know, stuff like that, but nothing crazy. Um, the draft was, was came and went. You know, my agent was saying that, you know, they might take you, uh, like the Phillies and a couple other teams might take you late. Um, it didn't work out, you know, a little, little, a little devastated, but, you know, he told me to stay positive and he would talk to some teams about getting a, a free, a pre draft or a, excuse me, um, a free agent contract. So, um, the third day of the draft was Wednesday. Um, Thursday, I didn't hear anything Friday morning. Um, my agent called me and said, Hey, you know, I got some good calls with some teams about free agents, you know, stick in there. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. You know, trying to stay as positive as I can, but, but still thinking like, now nah, this, this might be it for me. Enough. Um, 30 minutes later, Connor Betby's the, the Northeast uh, area scout for the Phillies uh, called me and, and said, Hey, you know, we'd, we'd be loved. We'd love to offer you a, a free agent contract. And I, and I accepted it. And here we are. What are, what are your takeaways from, you know, your, your first pro season and then more specifically what, uh, you know, coming off of that, what are you looking to work on and improve during this off season? Oh man. First pro season. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's it's a, it's a lot different, obviously, than college. You know, you're in there with guys who are are 17. Your guys in there with you're in there with guys who are a lot older. You know, it's your guys. You're in there with guys from China, Venezuela, Australia. You know, Dominican Republic, all over the place. So, I think one thing that I really that I really you know that'll stick with me the rest of my life is is just being able to. Um, you know, be on a team with, with guys from all over the world and some of them who couldn't speak any English. And luckily I took some Spanish in, uh, in high school and college. And, uh, you know, that helped me a lot just every single day, just, you know, trying to communicate with them because, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to understand that some of these guys are coming here that don't know English that, you know, are coming here and they've been here since they're 16, 17 years old. And they're just in a foreign place and they don't really know, you know, how things go. And they really appreciate when, when, uh, you know, American guys like put the time and effort into, you know, trying to learn Spanish and help them out. And uh, I'll never forget uh, one of my good buddies um, from the Dominican um, at our hotel in Clearwater. There was a Chipotle nearby and they ate it like every single day because that was all they could eat because that, that, that's all I knew how to order. And there was a Chick-fil-A right next door. And the one day I was like, hey, you know, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And in broken English, he was kind of like, you know, I, I can't order there. Like, I don't know how to order. And I was like, no, nah, come on, let's go. Come on, I'll order for you. And and we went and it was fun. It was just it was funny because I'm ordering for him, like standing there and the, and the, the people at the store, are like, you know, kind of confused what's going on. And then, you know, we got him food and he ate it. And he was like, oh, my God. Like, he was like, this is the best <laughs> chicken I've ever had in my life. And then every day he was like, we're going to Chick-fil-A, we're going to Chick-fil-A. So it's just that kind of stuff that you don't think about, um, you know, the obstacles that they have to overcome in terms of, you know, even just things like ordering food. Like they just don't know how to do it. and It's tough for them. But that's kind of something putting baseball aside, you know, the whole like culture shock of, of being with guys from all over the world and interacting with them and, and learning about their cultures and stuff is something that's really, really awesome. In your first season of pro ball, um, what, who were some of the guys that in the organization that they had you guys uh, working with? So some of the coordinators, coaches, and people in the organization that kind of helped you out along the way. 
Um, so my coaching staff was Milver Reyes, who was more of a hitting guy, but he oversaw all the pitching decisions. Um, my pitching coach was Bruce Billings. Um, a lot of coordinators, uh, Eric Jagers is a coordinator that I, that I worked with. Um, Mike Tampanelli was a, a, like a data and analytics type of guy that would work with some of the, the tech and equipment and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, those were, and you know, the thing is, is, you know, when we were down in rookie ball in the GCL, you know, you're right down there in Clearwater where the spring training facility is. So, you know, there's guys coming in and out, coaches coming in and out, you know, every week and, and there's guys floating around, but I think it's just, you know, picking their brains when you get a chance and, um, you know, you get out of it what you put in, you know, if you're going to, you can sit there and really not talk to anyone and go out of your way, but if you're willing to, to ask questions and, and, and seek the information, it's there for you. So you mentioned a little bit about, like you just said, uh, one of the guys worked with tech, um, how like has uh, technology and analytics been implemented with you know what what they've worked with you on so far? Um, I mean, this is not just the Phillies. I mean, the, the whole game of baseball is is transforming into being data driven and analytics driven. And uh, you know, there's there's uh, slow motion cameras that they have for us to uh, look at look at our pitch grips and you know. One thing that's kind of crazy is, you know, what you think your arm's doing and what you think your body's doing versus what it's actually doing when you're pitching is, is something that you could kind of lose lose track of. So it's good to have cameras and video and slow motion video to actually see what you're actually doing versus what you're thinking you're doing. Um, we have rap soda units that are little units that go on the ground and they measure, you know, all, all your all your good good data stuff, spin rate, axes, axes. Um, velocity, uh, pitch break, ver horizontal, vertical break, all that, all that good stuff. Cool. Would you consider yourself a player that can take a lot out of the the technology and the data that they give you, or is that something that you're not as fond of? No, man. I'm 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 full. I'm I'm all aboard on the on the data and analytics. I mean, I think I think you can pick and choose what you know you like and what you don't. But in terms of you know, it's it's not. I mean, data isn't wrong; it's fact. So I think one thing that you can you can always find something to learn to learn about. I mean, I know um, one thing for me was was uh, learning to try to separate the difference between my cutter and my curveball. So I was throwing those a lot and trying to see to try to get the vertical break of my curveball as far away from the cutter as as possible, so they weren't kind of looking at, at like the same pitch out of my hand. Um, but you know, I'm I'm all bored on it, and, and I was a uh, you know I was a good student. You know, I, I'm I was really in a school, so I think having that stuff available that you can just dive into is really cool. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> are there any major league pitchers, whether now or that you watched growing up, that you kind of want to model yourself after? Um, right now, uh, I think. I mean, it was, you know, growing up every, you know, my favorite player was Mariano Rivera and, and seeing that I throw a cutter um, and that was a closer in college. That was kind of, a, that was a cool comparison. And I really liked him um, right now. It's hard not to like uh, Justin Verlander and Walker Bueller. Now I know they're, they're starters, but I think that um, Walker Bueller is a great talent coming up now. And Justin Verlander's been, been an ace for, for how many years now? So I think it's cool that um, he's been doing, what he's been doing for so long, and I like their their pitch repertoires. Yeah. Awesome, um, Connor. You have anything to say to the listeners about maybe what they can expect from you next year, or anything you <laughs> want to say to the fans? 
<laughs> uh, maybe not for me, but I think just the Phillies in general. Um, you know, Josh Bonifay is the farm director now who who uh, was lucky enough to give me a shot. And, uh, you know, I remember um, something I'll remember forever. I walked in the first day or the first week, rather, and I walked into his office and just said, you know, hey, you know, I'm a free agent sign. I'm not, you know, I, you have thousands of players. You know, I'm not sure, you know, how much you really know about me, this and that. But uh, introduced myself and said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to work and I'm here to work and get better. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that stuck with me was what he said. And he was just basically saying, you know, that it doesn't matter whether you're the first rounder or 40th rounder or undrafted or it doesn't matter that the, you know, the Phillies are, are willing to give you a shot and and uh, see what you're made of. And I think that's that's great because a lot of some some organizations don't. They just push the guys they want to push. And, um, you know, I'm forever grateful to him and the Phillies for giving me a shot and um, seeing what what I can give the city of Philly. Awesome, Connor. Thank you so much. It's been it's been a really good time. I'm sure that that Johnny's enjoyed it just as yeah, much as I have. It's great. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yep, no problem. Anytime. All right, see ya. This has been the Phillies Nation podcast. Thank you all once again for listening. Thank you to Connor Hinchliffe for coming on. It was a super great time. For Johnny Heller, I am Ty Dobbert. We'll talk to you guys next week. You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.